Father, we just thank you that you are in charge. Uh, you're in charge of us, and you're in charge of our kids, and you are in charge, uh, Lord, of our our lives and our salvation. And and um, and we just ask God that you would um, bless this time. I pray, God, that it would be fruitful in the hearts of these folks who have have come, and in my heart as well. And we pray, God, that your uh, mercy and your grace would uh, be upon us um, as we now. Uh, really work to uh, to look to you. I mean, sometimes it's really hard to look to you, Lord. We are working now to look to you to see what you would have to offer us as parents, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. amen. Um, so the the title of this uh, class uh, is our last installment of, of Faith and Family uh, for this academic year. Um, the title is Offense versus Defense. Protecting your child while preparing them for the real world. And I just want to lead by saying that I feel completely and utterly inadequate uh, to, um, to, to tell you how to protect your child uh, from the world and at the same time prepare them for the world. I am um, a Bible teacher and a dad and not a um, child psychologist. And... Um, uh, and so I, you know, I'm in it. I'm, I'm just in it with you. And um, and in fact, as I was praying about what what I might bring this morning, I was really sort of surprised with what I felt like the Lord was uh, leading me. And so I was telling Amy about what um, what I was going to be talking about. She said, "I don't think that's what they're good. that's what you're supposed to talk about." So, um, <laughs> um, so uh, so hopefully it will it will bear some bear some fruit. Um, I, I do just want to I want to say this it, like parenting is the hardest thing I've, I've ever done and 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 continue to do I mean it's it's just so hard I don't feel like it gets any easier um, I, I uh, my friend Craig Ogard told me um, has told me several times that um, little kids are a handful and big kids are a heartful and um, and I um, I I can just can see how that could be true. Um, I'm sort of, I, I feel like my heart is full, uh, even though my hands are also um, usually very full. And, and what I've found, I, I can remember, um, I can remember, uh, I, I have apologized to my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, Amy's sister and, and brother-in-law so many times because um, they had their three children before we started having children. And I can remember just telling them, like, I, I mean, just thinking to myself, like, Tell them to shut up. Like, just like, what is a spank them and tell and they'll be, you know, like, just what is the problem? Um, and um, and I, I have just really apologized to them so many times for just, uh, because I just think, you know, like I thought it was black and white. I just, you know, it was black and white and there's so much gray uh, in parenting that, you know, it's gray when it, it's, I thought it was black and white, but it's gray when, when, you're, when your kid puts up a fight, uh, when you tell them to do something and they just don't do it. Um, uh, it's gray when your when your child has feelings that, that are mixed in. Um, there are it's gray when there are other kids involved, you know, like, um, and your kid gets into trouble with another kid or because of another kid or gets another kid into trouble. Any of those scenarios are are um, are are mixed in and and bring an element of gray into what uh, might have felt like black and white. Um, it, it's it's gray when you feel like you you've You've laid your last card on the table. Like there's just no more disciplinary options. You know, um, uh, I mean, you're ten. You're not going to kick him out out of the house. You know, um, I, I want to, or I'm just going to leave you in the house and I'm going to leave. You know, like that'd be um, 
um, uh, that'd be great. But um, you know, it's it's suddenly gray. You're out of options. Uh, what do you do? I I just feel powerless sometimes uh, as a parent. Um, and it's great when you have to decide whether or not you think they're telling the truth. Like they're saying it, but then you have to decide, are they telling the truth or, or are they not? Um, I, so there's two tasks here. One is, is, um, is preparing them for the real world, and one of them is, is what sort of restrictions and isolation do you put around them to protect them uh, from the world. And, um, and I'm going to do more about protecting them um, from the real world, and Cameron and um, and Katie and Sarah are going to talk about a little bit at the end. Um, maybe it's sort of a panel Q and A. Um, you said you're going to do more about protecting them. Right? I'm going to do more about preparing them for the real world, <laughs> and um, and then um, and then uh, the others are going to talk about things like um, how to what what do you do for your their iPhone and stuff like stuff like that. So here, here's what I, I want to think about. Um, uh, if you can think about the word patio, and, uh, and that's the best I could come up with, um, a pa- the word patio. And I just think about a patio as a place where it's just it's, it's, it's calm, like you're out there on a sp- spring day, you're watching the kids run around, um, or you know, it's, just, it's just a nice, patio is a nice, it's a nice word. So think about the word patio uh, for prayer, authority, um, uh, T is trust, integrity, and others. So I'm going to go through those things, uh, patio. And actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with A. So I'm going to I'm going to leave prayer for the very uh, the very end. So I'm going to go adio P. Um, that doesn't make any sense though. Uh, but uh, prayer is the mo- is number one. That's why I want to talk about it last. So no, but number two, uh, I would say. So I'm going to start with number two. I'm going to leave with number two, authority. Um, so uh, so you're the parent, and what you say goes. Like that's 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 part of preparing them uh, for the real world. Um, bartering with them uh, undermines your trustworthiness. So when um, when you say here's the consequence, and they say I want a lesser consequence, or will you please make it this, or or don't, you know, then bartering undermines your trustworthiness uh, to them. Um, you tell them you're going to give them ten dollars to cut the grass, uh, you give them ten bucks. Like that's you what you do what you said you were going to do. Uh, when you tell them they're going to be grounded if they do. X, Y, and Z, and they do X, Y, and Z, then they're grounded. Like they don't get to barter with with that because you're what you're uh, you're the parent, and what you have said goes. And they, it brings the even though they they try to jump the fence, the fence brings them um, security. And so uh, and, and and I want to say this too because I um I have many many times um I have I have bumped I have I have entered into a battle of wills. Is, and, and I win because I'm bigger, and that's um, and that's not a healthy way to do it, and it leaves me ex- exhausted and, and and totally frustrated. And so I've tried to keep in mind uh, Ephesians six four, which says, "Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord." Like not just discipline and instruction for discipline and instruction's sake, but discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians six four, um, and I have been again when I. Everything I say, I, I do it about fifty to sixty percent of the time. So I, like I, I'm, I'm a struggling parent, but uh, I really want to try to only demand what requires demand. Um, and what I mean by that is, if I'm not going to follow up with the consequences, then I need to not demand it. You know, so, um, so um, I, th- I have found 
that I have been most effective if I'm very careful about the words that I use. Hey, buddy, can you, would you mind coming and doing this, or would you please do this? Um, and uh, and if, there, if it doesn't require a demand, then I don't want to... Do, I mean, sometimes they just have to do it. Um, so here, here's why this is... T- so you're the parent, and what you say goes, and here's why that's preparing them for the real world, because they need to learn to respect authority. And the way that God has given... Uh, has set it up um, for for children to learn to respect authority is within the household, within their parents. And that is going to serve them really, really well uh, in their life, in their vocation, uh, and when they come out of the household, and also in their relationship with God, um, to learn to respect and submit to uh, authority properly, and to deal, when they have a problem with authority, to deal with it uh, appropriately. And so I think it can be really, really helpful um, if, if we explain to them um, either in the midst of the conversations over discipline or in the midst uh, of just sort of casual, um, but explain to them that we have a God-given responsibility as parents to teach them to respect authority. And, and, and what, like it or not, sometimes they don't like it, sometimes I don't like it, but like it or not, the home is the place that God has given for them. And so um, uh, it, it is a kindness to them because it's God-given. And, and it's finally, frankly, it's a kindness to us. And, and, but it should be administered to them as the kindness of God. Sometimes that's a firm kindness. Um, and, and again, it's, it sounds black and white. You're the parent and what you say goes. But that's, it's, a gift. It's, a, it's a gift to them. And I find, and again, I have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. So I hope that doesn't undermine. Some of you are way beyond that. And you're, um, you, you just are where you are. And... Um, and I would invite you to jump in with questions um, or, or comments. But uh, I find the consequences are most effective when I'm not reactionary. Sometimes I have to take time away so it's not reactionary. Um, and that, that when it's reactionary and I'm angry and I'm just doling out consequences, like that's, that's just a battle of wills, and it doesn't, it doesn't help. And so uh, Amy is helpful in that. Sometimes I, you know... Um, Sometimes I can regulate myself, and sometimes I need Amy's help in that, um, and and so that's a good, good team. So that, but that's um, that helps them. It's it's preparing them for the real world, because they will always be under authority, even if they you know, even if they own their own business or or live out in the country or whatever it is, they're always going to be under authority in some regard, and that's a, that's a help uh, to them in the real world. So authority is the A in patio. Um, uh, any thoughts or comments? Any, anything to add on that? Okay. Uh, so patio uh, authority trust. Uh, they have to, and I just want to. Int- I mean, just to your great benefit, have to. They have to trust that you want the best for them. I mean that that's that's so important. Um, they have to know that you want the best for them, and that is uh, that is. I, I, have you, I don't know if you heard the the, um, the phrase that vision leaks when you talk about leadership. Like you have to vision leaks, and so you have to keep speaking your vision. Well, like I, I feel like um, trust is like a, in the house is like a sieve. I mean, like you just have to keep building, keep keep building that trust. Um, but they have to know that if you put a rule in place, that it, it needs to we need to work towards that being their instinct. If you put a rule in place in the house, uh, you've done it for them, and not for yourself. And that's that's a really that's a really because that's the way that's why God has put rules for us, um, and that helps them 
in their faith and preparing them for the real world, to, to, to regulate them for them. And, and I would say that building trust doesn't come in the tense moments. The, it's tested in the tense moments, but it doesn't, it doesn't come in the tense moment. It comes when you take them out to ice cream. You know, it, take, it comes when, when, you, um, when you just have small kindnesses or you, you play in the yard what, whatever game they like to do or you help them sew or you help them, you know, whatever. It's in those sort of casual, mundane kind of <laughs> moments. Uh, it comes in physical touch and telling them you love them. Fathers and, and mothers, um, it's really important for them to have both from both physical touch and words of affirmation from fathers and mothers. Uh, I have I have a friend. I was at a retreat with a, some adult friends from college um, just a, a couple of years ago, and he's my age. I mean, he was I guess 38 at the time, and and he was in tears because his dad has never told him he loved him. And, and he, I mean, you know, parents were together. He has a good relationship. He's a doctor, just like his dad was a doctor, and I means successful. And he was just was something in the conversation just. Tagged it, Dad never, and he just was telling about this episode where he came downstairs. I mean, just haunted him, you know. He came downstairs and said, "All right, good night, Dad. Good night, son. I love you, Dad." Yep. I mean, just like just, he was just so hard. I mean, he did love him. He's like, I know he loves me, but he just can't say it. And I need him to. I need him to say it. Like even now, as a 38-year-old, I need. So it's so important, and that's where trust is built. Trust is built in apologizing when you blow it. You know, and and like, you're not gonna be, you're gonna, you're gonna mess up. I'm gonna mess up, and I, I really, I'm, 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 I'm praying. Apology is an incredibly powerful thing because my kids hear it, apology a lot. Um, uh, I think a sense of humor around the house. Amy brings more of this to the house than I do, but uh, just a, sen- a good sense of humor, um, being trustworthy. I mean, just again, when what you say goes, and you what you, if you tell them, hey, if you do this, we'll go. I don't know. I keep saying get ice cream as a sort of a, a, a benign reward, but just you know, then then we do it. Um, being trustworthy, uh, teaching them to serve others, ser- giving them an opportunity to serve others outside of the house, uh, giving them the dignity of having chores, uh, and holding them to that. Uh, all those things build uh, trust, and we as fathers and mothers have to have to. Um, have to cultivate intentionally. I think cultivate that trust uh, in the peaceful times because we can't expect that it's going to be there in the when we need it unless we're building it. Um, but if they trust you, they will find it much easier to trust in the things that you trust. So they trust you. So if they see you trusting something like Jesus, <laughs> uh, then they will find it much easier uh, if they find you trustworthy. And so we build that. They will find it much easier to accept your Discipline, um, as opposed to punishment, um, discipline in, in, in a sense of building up rather than pushing down. But uh, they will find it much easier to accept that uh, in the long term uh, than uh, if you if they trust you. And they won't be able to articulate it. They won't be able. You won't be able sometimes to feel it. But you just have. We just have to keep. It's a sip. We have to keep uh, building in that that trust. Um, I can remember my mom saying. And I, to say nothing, I mean, I was I was spanked um, a lot um, as a kid, and uh, and because I deserved it a lot. And um, but I can remember my mom saying like, you would that I, she said to me, you would just come like begging for a spanking, like you would just come begging for it, like and 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 it like cleared my head. Like I don't know what that means, but I I um 
I tr- I, I don't know. There was just there was a sense not like that I would ask for it, but I would uh, it would just like I would, I just needed it, and there was some sense of I. I guess the reason I'm bringing that up in this part is because there was a sense in which once I had received the discipline, it really helped our relationship. Like I, there, I was able to, I was able to calm down, and I just have to believe that there's a sense of trust uh, in that. Um, I was able to, I was able to to keep quit coming up against the wall. Um, so authority, trust, integrity. Um, I don't want to put this on you as a, as a sort of law that if you blow it, your kids are, are doomed. But um, uh, but it is important for us to be the person our, we want our kids to become. It's like that's really important. That prepares them for the real world um, because it's so much less about our instruction than about our, the environment that we create and that they can um, that they sort of swim in. Uh, if you want them to be godly, like then you've got to go deep in your own faith. Like you've just got to. I mean, they it, like. It doesn't mean they won't be because the act, activity of the spirit. But let me just say that it, you will not regret being, going deep in your own faith. Um, but if you want them to be, if that's if that's your heart's desire, then go deep in your own faith, uh, and let them see how you do it, and how you struggle with it. Uh, if you want them to be moral, then you need to exercise great morals at home. I, it's not uncommon for parents to demand great morals and not exhibit them. Um, and so, and it's uh, it's apparent. It, it's a, it's very apparent to to kids, and especially the older they get, when they see there's a difference between what my parents are telling me to do and what they're doing. Um, and so, um, so that again, that undermines our tr- their trust in us. That undermines their comfort level with us. Um, so we need to have integrity. Um, and I have been thinking about this, um, particularly we need to. Ha- I want to just say, handle discipline situations the way you, when you become a grandparent, the way you hope to see them discipline your grandchildren. And here's why I've been thinking about that. I have, there's been a couple of times where I have been really frustrated with my kids out in public, like in on the playground or in a store or something. And I've snapped at them, and I've thought, I kind of hope nobody saw that. <laughs> because I felt a little silly. And uh, with my reaction, and I've been thinking like, like I need to kind of. It's not that I. It's not that it's all about me, but I want them to. I I I want to be the most effective sort of disciplinarian that I can possibly be for their own good, and I want them to to trust that. Is that the best way to do it? I want to be able to. I want to treat them the way I want them to treat their kids, and that and they will. <laughs> they will treat their kids the way I treat them, and so I need to treat them the way that I want them to treat their kids. If that makes sense. And then, again, apologize when you blow it. That's a huge part of integrity. So you have um, in patio, authority, trust, integrity, and others. I think just getting, as they get, especially as they get older, more and more, but putting them in a position to have great mentors. I mean, this is the church, right? This is, this is, um, these are our, our church leaders, our youth, your youth, you have an incredible, you have incredible youth group leaders, um, coaches, piano teachers, whatever it is, scout leaders, um, just putting them in a position to have great mentors to partner with you uh, is really, really uh, important. You can't do it alone. You shouldn't do it alone, especially as they get older. And your the the import of your voice. You always have the first and most important voice. But but um, but as they get older and their and their scope widens, your voice 
um, decreases uh, or the, the importance. They begin to realize, oh my gosh, like there's other voices out there. Well, you can control which other voices they hear. And I think that's, that's important. Is there a better way to say that than, than I'm saying that? Okay, so, um, so I think that that's really important. So you may not be able to control the fact, and you shouldn't control the fact, that there are other voices out there, but you can kind of control what voices they get. Um, you're putting them in, um, in a position to have great mentors. Um, if, they, if you find a teacher at school that you just think would be a great mentor, you know, find, a, find some sort of extracurricular activity that the teacher is involved in, you don't want to force it, just, but I think that that's a, that's, a really, that's a really good thing. It teaches them to, to deal with other people, all kinds of other people, and it teaches them um, that they can and should go ask for help. Um, so those are really good things. So, all right, so that's ADIO, um, authority, trust, uh, um, integrity, and others. But So the number one thing, and I, it's number one because it's primary, but it's also number one because it's the last thing I want you to hear me say, and that's prayer. I mean, it's just, like, it sounds so, um, if it sounds trite, it's because we don't give it enough um, uh, primacy. We, uh, we don't believe, I, I, I wrote in a, the um, an adventure, my word, of, it was a couple years ago, uh, that, that, you might you might have said, or you certainly heard people say, well, I guess all we can do is pray, like as if that's sort of a last resort, you know, like like when we pray, what prayer is is that we are we're actually coming into the presence of the one who breathed them into being and asking him to intervene. We're asking the one who created Orion's belt to come and take care of their situation with their girlfriends at school. Like, I mean, like, it is um, all, we have access to all the authority in the universe. And we're actually asking him to change the course of things and make a difference in their lives. And, and, and we don't, like, we, we treat that as like this sort of last resort. And, um, and really, so I haven't even opened the Bible in this whole team. Here, here, here's the one that has really been pressing on my heart um, since, we, since I've been praying about this particular uh, teaching. And it's Luke 11. And Luke 11 is, um, if you brought a Bible, you, you can turn in or turn on your phones, um, to your, turn in or turn on your Bibles to, um, um, to Luke chapter 11. And, uh, and this is uh, where the, the, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and what a great thing. And so he teaches in the, the Lord's Prayer, and we, we know the Lord's Prayer, which, by the way, is an incredible blessing over your home. Um, Father, hallowed be thy name. Let your name be holy. Uh, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in my house as it is in heaven uh, provide for us, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, lead us not into temptation. What a great blessing uh, over your kids and, and really should uh, is available an available resource to guide us in our prayers. But here's, but really it's the parable that comes after that that has, in um, uh, one word in particular, that has, has been um, weighing on, on my mind. And this is what Jesus said. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. 
I tell you, though he will not get up to give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his, here's the word, his impudence. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, uh, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him instead a scorpion? Obviously, nobody would do that. <laughs> if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, which you do, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The word impudence, uh, another translation says importunity. We don't use those words very often, but it just means um, persistent asking, relentless knocking on the door, trusting. Like, like I'm knocking on the door on behalf of my children. And I have um, really been challenged lately that... Um, to believe that that God is going to give me what I ask for. Now I have to, you know, I I have to I have to um, measure that against, you know, leave room for the fact that there's my own will mixed in there, and and I'm prideful and greedy and and all those things. But 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 this the word says, if you ask, you will receive. And if you are praying for your children. Um, you will receive it. I mean, I just, I just believe that. Uh, the Lord, if your faith is in Christ, the Lord, there's great biblical evidence the Lord puts favor upon the children of the faithful. It does not mean that they won't fall. And I, and I, I think about um, St. Augustine. Augustine was this brilliant man, but had um, struggled, struggled, struggled with, with his faith. And in fact, went off into several different religions uh, he, you know, he was in like the 350s. I mean, just early, early. Um, and all the time while he was he was seeking after truth, but he was like, "There's no way that Christianity can be the answer," because he didn't have a in his mind Christianity didn't answer a couple of questions, most notably the uh, the problem of evil, the origin of evil, and the problem of evil, which we still you know struggle with those things. So he went off into some to other. Uh, religions and uh, other philosophies, and and really led. I mean, he was a brilliant uh, attorney, a lawyer, but he, um, and he was in fact he was a teacher of rhetoric. But he he just led he led this debaucherous lifestyle. I mean, just and and his mother was praying, just praying, just praying uh, the whole time. And in fact, she was given a vision uh, of. Uh, the Spirit pouring Himself out on her son Augustine, uh, and him just smiling with this sort of radiance, and and she just wept at the joy of this. Nine years later, Augustine came, and she's praying the whole time. This is, this is and just think about this importunity, this impudence. She's knocking on the, banging on the only door that can give her the bread. Right? She's only just continually lifting up her son, and she's just seeing like. Oh my gosh! Now he's got a child with somebody who's not his wife, and now he's running off to Milan, and he's and, and who knows what 
what else? And he, she's just so terribly worried, and yet she's continually bringing uh, her son before uh, the throne of God. Just, just relentless. That's that. He is her only hope, and she doesn't. Uh, you know, I think of the other Luke, 9, Luke 18, where um, Jesus tells uh, the parable of the. Um, oh, well, I'll just read. I'll just flip to it. Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterwards said uh, to himself, uh, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat uh, beat me down by her continual coming. Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cried to him day and night? And this is, the, this is the beginning of the parable. It says, And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's why I told them that parable. And so, like, your kids are going to blow it, and you're going to blow it, and they might blow it big time, right? But it, in Christ, like, that's never the last word. So Monica, Augustine's wife, I mean, mom. Um, praise and praise and praise and literally changed the course of history because Augustine is the great theologian of the church. Literally, she changed the course of history with her prayers. You can say, well, would God have done that anyway? I don't know. But I know that she was relentless in her prayers. And all of his craziness over the years added, only served to add to his ministry later on. Would he would he want that for his own son? No. <laughs> but can you, can we look back on the things that we have done and think, you know, God really used that in my life, even though I wouldn't wish that on my child. Yes. So God will uh, redeem. I mean, if He really does work to the good of all those who love the Lord, we can't. I mean, that that, that is so massive that we can't even see how He's working those things to good. But we trust that He is. And so we when we pray. We pray. That's the number one thing. Before authority, before trust, before integrity, before others, we pray for our children. I mean, go up to their bedroom while they're asleep at night and just pray over them. Lay your hand on them. Speak to them while they're asleep. I mean, it's so subversive, right? And just and just tell them how much you love them and how much God loves them, and just pray for them. Um, make sure you're praying for them in their in your daily prayers, uh, and God will hear that. I promise. Um, and that prepares them uh, for the real world. Uh, there are lots of things we can do in terms of healthy isolation. Before we get to um, that, uh, is there, are there any any questions? Any any thoughts? Any? Okay. I'm going to leave you to it. If you don't have any questions, it was either really good or totally uh, unhelpful. Um, so we something we're gonna uh, kind of go in a direction of uh, thinking about preparing kids for the world and this kind of idea of like offense versus defense. Oh, sure. Uh, how about that? Uh, thinking about offense versus defense, one of the things we hear from parents a lot is this tension between. Uh, you know, their kids are just amidst this deluge of information and, and, and media content and messages. 
And so there's this tension of, you know, I, I just want to take my kids and homeschool and, and you know, <laughs> not have electricity at my house and, um, and, you know, and just retreat from the world. Uh, but, you know, there's this the reality of you can't do that. Yeah, I think when I was a kid, there wasn't the Internet. Um, there, you know, to get a movie, you had to have your parents take you to the, the movie store to get a VHS. And, um, you know, if you wanted to get your hands on something inappropriate, you had to have an older brother with low morals or have a friend who had an older brother with low morals who was, you know, 19 years old who would go to the gas station and buy it for you. And so, um, but now, I mean, you can't, you're, you're, you cannot shield your child from everything. And so, um, I, when I, a lot of times I'll talk about offense versus defense. I do think, um, and what Sarah and Katie and I are talking about a little bit is in, in the realm of technology is how, how we do have to protect our children. Like, if you do not have boundaries and protections for your child, um, they are going to have access to horrible things. And meanwhile, you also, because you can't completely protect your child, you also have to teach your child how to engage what they're seeing and what they're hearing um, through a, like, a scriptural and Christian worldview. And so I think um, a couple just kind of preliminary thoughts are, one, you know, Jesus says that out of the heart comes all of our sin, sexual morality, greed, anger. He says out of the heart. And so what, what our kids consume from an information standpoint influences their heart. Uh, so for example, uh, if, you know, if, your child, if, you're, if your child's a boy and all that they, the, their whole paradigm for what, who women are and what women are made for is informed by what they see on television, what they see in the Hardee's commercial, uh, what they see in pornography, what they see in movies – then that is going to translate into how they treat their wife when they get married. They're going to see their wife as an object who's meant to serve their needs on their demand when, when they want what they want and not as a full human being who's made in the image of God, who they, they were made to serve, they were made to love, and um, you know, in a mutual relationship. And so, um, so, uh, so it's important what our kids receive. Secondly, this is, in the realm of technology, this is extremely difficult because you are the first generation of parents to ever deal with this. No other generation of parents in world history has ever had to consider their child having a smartphone or their child having, um, you know, Snapchat or Instagram and the implications of that. And so, um, so anyhow, Sarah, what Sarah and Katie and I are going to talk a little bit about is... Um, and by the way, because you're the first, you, you just have to trust that the grace of Jesus is bigger than your performance. That's the gospel, right? <laughs> your, our performance is completely inadequate, and, um, and you know, every, everything in our flesh is inadequate, and that's why Jesus came and died, came and lived and died for us, um, so that God's grace would be available to us in, in our failure and our inadequacy. Uh, so that's, that's the comfort. But we're going to talk a little bit about what we're seeing as far as... Um, uh, what kids are exposed to, um, what they need to be protected from, and um, and it's like boundaries that we recommend in terms of like protecting your kid. Uh, you know, you can't you can't protect them forever, um, but boy, you know, while they're under your roof, <laughs> within reason, we want to protect them as much as possible. So, um, 
as uh, Sarah, oh, Sarah, I'm going to hand you the okay, mini sure, microphone. Sure. So the first question is we're going to say, what are we observing as far as what kids are consuming, what they're exposed to, and then we'll talk practically about how to play defense and how to protect them. Okay, I will say that giving any kind of um, advice gives me hives about this kind of thing. I mean, I really, um, it makes me very nervous. I, I think you, like, just to repeat, I have to say this before I say it or else I'll feel uncomfortable. I, I remember at a class I took after college, there was this guy who was very, I mean, pure-hearted. It was very sweet, but wanted, talking about creating for his children a, um, the Christian fortress, he called it that. Um, but, but sadly, and I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of good in the thought behind that, but I think sadly, um, it, it's it's in here already you know it's it's already in your house the temptation so um i don't really know that how you can block it out um i'd love to try but um just we kind of divided up big trends we see so i'm going to do talk a little bit about snapchat instagram i think is what i'm what's before me um snapchat i i really struggle to say good things about it i to me it feels a little bit like giving um uh, maybe a 12-year-old their license or, like, a 6-year-old a credit card. Um, I'm not saying that the thing itself is that terrible. It's just that um, there's so much temptation, and it seems Pretty to me... Does everyone know what Snapchat is? Oh, yeah. Okay, your kid probably has it. Um, <laughs> sorry, I mean, maybe not, but I've never seen a kid who didn't. Um, it's an app where you take a picture, you send picture messages back and forth, and the message disappears within a certain number of seconds. I think the maximum is 12 seconds, 20 seconds. Um, and so if the person can clearly, if you know a smartphone, you can screenshot it. So they think the message is going away, but you get a notification if, you get, if it's saved. Um, so initially, clearly, it sounds like it was used for pornography, which it probably was. It was. It was invented for people to sext one another, but probably all of our kids in high school have Snapchat. And junior high. And ju most of our junior high kids have Snapchat, too. Vine. Vine. Oh, interesting. Have you heard of Vine? Yes. Yeah. No, I don't hear as much about that one. But I. But it's a similar thing. It's like... Yeah. But with Snapchat, the thing is, is a child can make their own video, and then it vanishes yeah, after 10 seconds. Well, and it's hard. At they're... Yeah. They're creating relation. They feel like they have a relationship with somebody else, but it disappears. There's nothing. Um, it just causes a lot of problems. And I would say that just descriptively, to try to stay descriptive, um, I've been told by multiple students that if for a, like a high schooler, and this would be true, I think, to some degree in junior high, every girl has been asked for a naked picture of herself. And that is throughout social groups. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just, I really debated and they were like, you have to say it. Um, <laughs> uh, this is not just the cool kids. This is not the nerds. This is not, I hate those labels anyway, but I'm just saying throughout, and I think boys are just sent them on, um, without being asked. Um, and you, sent them, you mean like, you like a girl will send a picture, naked picture to a boy. And we would say that, I'll just go ahead and say it. Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, girls will tell us that every single girl, uh, every single high school girl will receive a solicitation at some point in high school from a boy asking for naked pictures. If they have Snapchat, through Snapchat. Well, and what, what will break your heart is that, I mean, who, who doesn't have a moment? I'm not saying 
they send these messages. You know, they're so insecure and they're so they're oh, their hearts are so broken. And mine too. But I think that when you're 13, 14, 15, 16, um, it's really difficult for girls to understand to say no and um, to really see the bigger picture of what's going on. So many of the pictures they send to, if they're not that, it's, I mean, sadly, I've seen so many of the conversations between a boy and a girl. And um, they'll send pictures of themselves in bed, like fully clothed, like their head, like they're in bed on their pillow talking at night, and they don't think anything of it. I mean, they think, oh, we're just having a fun conversation. We both can't sleep tonight. But they don't see how provocative it is. That they're sending a picture back of themselves in their pajamas under the covers. I mean, they don't, but they don't see it at all. If they saw it, they wouldn't show it to me, you know. So um, I think it just is a scary tool um, that really, I, I mean, from a Christian perspective, the scary thing is that um, just the the temptation sinking itself in, you know, that that um, it, it draw, it's drawing them into something that. Is can be very scary and yeah I don't know is that helpful? It's not just asking and receiving, but things can be forwarded. Right. Right. And surely God will use yeah. They don't know. I think for the most part they have no idea. Talk about we can talk about uh, perhaps something to show on how you can control all the apps on an iPhone pretty easily. Yeah, I, I think that um, educating our kids and talk having the conversation with them is really important. But I also think if you're paying for it, you get to decide what's on their phone. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I also wonder how much of it has to be how much of a filter you build in your child. Yeah. I mean, you cannot protect. I don't care how mm. many filters there are in the world. Some you have to build. Some of it has to be in your child, and that's asking a lot of the child. I'm, I mean, I'll put that out there first. No, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, we are human. They yeah. are human. So they I am they don't human. have it. Their friends I am weak. Right. Weak. He's going to have weaknesses to it. Sure. So, I mean, to me, there's just so many pieces to it. It's just a constant battle. Yeah, and on that note, um, I, I think that we, ha- you know, we, we have an opportunity to use the media uh, kind of turn the media in on it on itself in the sense that um, you can't we can't protect your kid. I mean, I can remember my two year old son standing in front of a TV with Beyonce, you know, dancing provocatively with no clothes on at a Pepsi commercial on public television, and you know, and I like 
dive, across, you know, dive, <laughs> just turn off the television. Um, and, you know, certainly there's no, you know, so tell me, two-year-old son, uh, what is what is that portraying about women? But, you know, as they get older, whether it's elementary school, junior high, high school, yeah, when the when the provocative Hardee's commercial comes on, yeah, you do want to turn the channel, but you don't want to just turn the channel. You want to use that as an opportunity to have a conversation about, why, if this is a conversation about hamburgers and you have women with no clothes on making erotic, you know, moaning noises while they're eating at cheeseburger. What what do you think they're trying to communicate? What are they suggesting? What are they, you know, what are they trying to appeal to? Well, how are they portraying women? What are they saying about sex? Or if you're watching television where, you know, you have a, a two people just meet up and they have sex on their first date or whatever. What, what is, okay, what are they communicating about sex? Like, you use that kind of stuff. And we're talking about the offense versus the defense. That's the offense because... You do want to train them, you know, just through conversation. This is what they are saying, and this is what Scripture says about that. And this is what God says about sex. This is what God says about women. Um, so, anyhow, and just to your around, point. But they're, they're definitely listening. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think if I can say, too, one thing I've been to say before is that the reaction that you get in that moment when you give them, teach them that is not the lasting reaction. Like, that, they, they have, it registers. And and just just because they don't say yes, mom, thank you so much. I see what you're saying in that moment. Like it makes a it makes a dent in their in in their worldview and um and begins to fashion it. So I, the more we can do that, but um just I, that is I think really important for us to remember that what we get in the moment is not what they get long term. Um, do you want to talk for a minute about what you observe with college students who um, socially? Katie used to do yeah. college ministry. Do you talk a little bit? Okay, so yeah, this is kind of shifting gears a little bit, but um, we were just talking about the first generation to have all of the social media and um, to have the internet at your fingertips. I saw that in a very real way with college students um, because I worked with 18-year-olds. They've just left home. They're away from all of their friends. Um, most of these kids were. They were you know, they didn't come with friends. They didn't have a group. It's not like a huge group went to Alabama altogether. This was a school that they were all kind of isolated. Um, And so a lot of what I did was trying to help them build community and foster friendships and relationships. And there was just a trend that was right in my face, and that was that social media inhibits your, your willingness to put yourself out there to make informed connections. Um, so we would have a freshman event that the whole point is for you to be able to make friends and for you to, to be able to feel like you're not alone um, as you're starting this new journey. And what, what I would see is the students on their phone texting their friends from back home and instead of interacting with the people that are there in front of them. Um, and so it's kind of just a direct manifestation of insecurity to just look at this instead of making eye contact instead of asking, hey, where are you from? You know, what did you do? Um, what's your story? And I even, there is, there is one anecdote where I was talking to students about meeting people because this was just a trend over and over again. I would meet with students one-on-one and they would just say, I'm lonely, I need friends, I'm away from home. And I would meet with them, you know, six different girls would all tell me that. And then I'm like, hmm. We're going to have a lunch, and I'm inviting all six of you, you know. Um, but I talked to them about meeting people, and they said that they would not speak to a stranger in their class. 
um, on the first day, that that would be very weird and awkward. You know, awkward is a big word. Um, and I think social media just kind of lowers your threshold for what you call awkward because there's not the face-to-face -face interaction. You're just, you can control exactly what it is. And with Snapchat, it's this artificial temporary thing that they feel like is, is a friendship, is a relationship, but it's not. It disappears instantly. Um, and so that, I think, goes back to earlier we were talking about the mundane, the mundane moments. Um, and so it's, it's a scary trend, but I think a very real application and something that we can do is just in the way that we interact in, in the family, you know, and making sure that the phone does get put away at certain points. And who knows, it might be a really boring conversation, but we're going to actually talk to each other instead of just letting life go on and, and distracting at every given point. Um, and I guess the encouraging thing to me in that is that loneliness is part of the human experience. And so you're always going to crave that friendship. So as, as crazy as social media gets, there's never going to be a point where it's like, ah, well, I don't need other people, you know, because of the way that we're made, we're going to need relationships. Um, and so that's encouraging to me because, um, that's always going to be a natural instinct. It's, it's like we have creation on our side for that to fight for real connections. So, um, I don't know if that's a good intro to what I've, um, seen on the other side after like the effects of social media, but any thoughts or. What, what do y'all think about, um, limiting say like no phones after eight o'clock or, um, you know, I've heard some parents say, I need, you know, you're, you have to give me your phone before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what do you think about sort of rules and yeah. like, like that? Well, so how about, so yesterday Sarah and I, and Katie and I, we were all the three of us, we talked about kind of what were what would be concrete boundaries that we would recommend for families when it comes to technology. Uh, and thinking, too, about God, you know, especially if you go through the Psalms, you see how uh, the speakers in the Psalms will refer to God as a, as a, as a refuge, as a protector, as one who... Um, you know, who fights for them. You see that throughout Exodus and Deuteronomy. And so as a heavenly father. And so, you know, um, it is not cool. And sometimes we can worry about being overbearing, but like to protect your child is a godly thing. Um, and so concretely speaking, some of the things we talked about were, one, uh, we think having periods where kids do not have their phones at all uh, is a very wise thing. We know some families who, when they're in the car, the kids have to put their phones in the glove box or the console so that they can actually have a conversation in the car. Um, and that's because that's really one of the, you know, I know you you know it more far better than I do, but for a lot of you, your life is carpool. And so um, that's one of the few times you actually get, you know, your child without interruption to have interaction with them and have a real relationship. And so a good idea is when they get in the car, to physically take it from them. Uh, we found this on our trips. Our kids aren't allowed to have their phones on our trips for that reason. But if you do not physically take it from them or have the parents keep them, they will get them out. They will sneak them. And so you physically do have to take it from them. A second thing we said is that absolutely 100% do not let your child have their phone um, like later in the night. Um, and by the way, if this is if this is like something that you allow, then I'm sorry, I don't want you to feel condemned. But what we find is kids will sleep with their phone under their bed. They'll be a part of a a, a snap, a, a group message or whatever, until late at night, 
and it gets in the way of them sleeping. Most of their group messages go until 1 o'clock at night, and they start at 6 in the morning. So just in terms of them getting the sleep they need, it's a huge impediment. And so um, honestly, they will fight you. And we hear this at the end of every trip, thank you for taking my phone away. Because it's, it's like a, it's an addiction. I mean, they're addicted to their technology. And, um, you know, uh, I, I'm sure if someone had some kind of substance abuse or they were addicted to alcohol or drugs, whatever it is, if you were to take that out of the house, a per, the, the addict would resist it initially, but thank you for relieving the intensity of the temptation. So that's another thing we said. We said um, absolutely... Positively, 100%, do not ever allow your child to have Snapchat. Um, it is, I think, Snapchat, the person who d- designed it, climbed a ladder down into hell and got together with the devil and, and the devil's programmers and made it because it is insidious. Um, nothing good. If your child resists that, they want Snapchat. And say, well, tell me something good about Snapchat. And they, they will not be able to articulate anything good, except all my friends have it. And, like, they can text just as easily as they can Snapchat, and you can have a record of their texts, um, both in the phone company and on the phone itself, but, uh, but not with Snapchat. Um, there is no way to protect your child with it. And so they so said that. I personally say I don't, I don't think it is a good idea, especially for junior high boys, to have the Internet on their phone, to have an Internet browser. I called the I, I I don't know the principals at the at like Homewood or Vestavia or at some of the other schools, but I called the principals at the Mountain Brook schools yesterday um, to ask them about whether or not students actually need the internet on their phone to fulfill classwork. Because I, when I say this to parents, do not let your child have an uh, your son have an internet browser on their phone in the junior high school. They say, well, they have to have it for school. I know that they told me at the junior high school, they at Mountain Brook Junior High School. They have over 500 mobile devices. They have, uh, you know, uh, what are they called? Uh, they're like iPads. They call them Chromes, but they're, you know, like tablets. And they have, um, and they also have laptops. And so no child needs an iPhone or Internet access on a phone at school to fulfill their classwork. Um, and I don't know what that's like at Homewood or Vestavia or the Advent Day School, but I can promise you that they really do not need a browser on their phone to fill their classwork. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, we do, we are uh, right. We so we obviously can't control that, but we can control what's on our kids' phone. And I'll just say, you know, they, there's a new there's this new uh, nonprofit organization that deals with uh, the call deals with pornography. It calls it. Then the title of the nonprofit is called the new drug. Um, and you just really do not want your junior high boy in particular, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, dismiss this as a problem for girls because they say 30% of girls look at pornography uh, at least once a month. So that's a, that's a substantial number. It's almost a third. But for boys, it's completely irresistible. Totally. 
got I've got to run to Trustful, but I just want to say I'm I'm um, uh, available uh, at any time if, if you want to bat any more of this round. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, well, can I say? Oh. Yes. Well, I mean, you can, right? you can have. I mean, Wi-Fi access or data. I mean, either. I mean, but internet access. Yeah, but it wouldn't have to. I mean. Yeah. If you, but if your child doesn't have an internet browser like Safari on their phone, then they can't. They can't. They can still like use Google Maps. They can still text message. They can still. Can you take um, it off the iPhone where they don't get internet? Yeah, you can. I I, I can show you. Hmm. I will if you want me to. Okay. <laughs> um, also, I have a question about. Um, I know there's an app out there that lets you hide the apps on your phone. Yeah, but so you can. They're not visible. Like they could have apps we don't know. Yeah, they've hidden them. Is what yes. Saying. Right, but you can't hide it from the background. So, like, if you if you uh, have parental controls on your child's phone, and, and there's a restriction code, they may can hide what's on the screen, but they can't hide what's they can't they can't hide what's the what's under the restricted menu, which you as the parent are the only one who has access to. Right. Yeah. If you set the restrictions on their phone, mm-hmm. you can always see what's on their phone. Sorry, you were asking something. Uh, well, no, I was just saying. We I wanted to say something before we wrap up. Are we about to wrap up? No, I know, but, you know. So, but their browser history, I mean, yeah. we we have made it outlawed to delete browser history and start to go through and look, you know, to see what is being looked at and, and we talk about it if we need to. Mm. I just, I wanted to share that just because as we hear these stories, it's like my, the hives come back, my anxiety, like thinking about, I really deeply care about the, um, the teenagers that I have the privilege to know. And the verse that really kept coming to mind as we were talking about this for me was from Romans 8, you know, we are no longer slaves to fear. Like mm-hmm. the, the fact that we live under this umbrella, that we're having this conversation at Cramner, I feel like I just, that kept being, it was repeated yesterday. You know, I kept thinking we're no longer slaves to fear. Like the reality is that your child will bottom out. You know, like I think about, I look at the students and I'm like, you, that in life, I think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I, that's been my experience and it's been the experience of everyone that I know, <laughs> is that at some point you will bottom out. And so that's going to happen regardless. But the prayer in this for me is that, I, I mean, every day, every night, the Lord has led me to pray for our students. Lord, um, would you give them a shallow bottom? Like, Lord, would you protect them from something deep and dark and long and heavy? Lord, would it be just shallow? Please, please, you know, and I think, but we're no longer slaves to fear. That just is, for me, has been really helpful because otherwise I wouldn't sleep at night. And still, like, just as it is with my my biggest problem, Sarah's biggest problem, Kay's biggest problem, your biggest problem, your child's biggest problem is their own sin. It's, you know, it's a temptation to see the enemy is out there. Um, but the enemy really is, is our own sin, uh, you know. And so, and, you know, Jesus has defeated sin and death. And Jesus continues to redeem us in our sin. So, so we have to, you know, as we freak out about Snapchat like I do, <laughs> we do have to remember that, that Christ has defeated sin and death. So um, I'm going to say a prayer for us. Do you have anything else you want to say? Um, yeah, just a concluding thought of, oh, I'm going to pull that off. Um, 
I think it's really important to explain. I mean, you probably all do this, but to explain why, like, okay, I'm going to delete your Snapchat, but to take it to that heart level of, you know, the fact that we need Christ and he's our salvation and to explain the why rather than just the rules um, and to communicate the intent behind it um, just really clearly and over and over again, even if they're rolling their eyes and not not acknowledging it, that they are hearing that. That's just really encouraging and, and vital. So that's all.